We don't know if we'll use this one or not. So it's. So cut it up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be the best one ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like last Sunday morning. Yeah. So we're doing yeah, <laughs> we're doing witchcraft contacts. Because you're going to make contact with witchcraft. You're just going to make contact with that spirit. We want to talk tonight on some areas of where you'll bump up against it. And this kind of started last night from listening to just all different types of things just constantly coming towards us. And we just couldn't quit talking about it. I mean, it's just, it's so massive. So we're going to write down some things about it, but I'm going to call it kind of a, uh, a witchcraft soul tie. A soul tie means a connection. So people are making actually like a soul tie with the witchcraft. It's areas where you're making contact with witchcraft and then take that a step further, walk it up a little. It's areas where you're connecting to witchcraft, which takes it to another dimension. And so uh, we went through stories trying to find some detail. We did 33 as quick as we could write them. And that's just our contact with people that are making contact with witchcraft. And we didn't know how we could tell them because the very nature of witchcraft is it's so personal that you don't want to tell it. It's so personal you want to tell it. Let's state it. It's as good as one of Mother's texts. I mean, they really have a punch to them, every last one of these. I mean, it makes people want to read them. But at the same time, uh, neither one of us could make our decision of, okay, we'll release this one or we'll, you know, try to make this one where it's not obvious who we're talking about or the person hearing it. But then you're getting rid of the facts that make the story so shocking. So in your face. And so the point of us talking tonight, the point of us going over this, is you're going to make contact with people dealing with witchcraft, and you cannot be in the ministry without witchcraft attacking you. So the conclusion that we came to on this is that witchcraft is more apparent because there's just more of it. It just must be that people are giving to it more. They're just leaning into it. So we talked about on Sunday where it moves from your flesh to a demon spirit. And that's a big leap. When you take that leap and it's not just you being fleshy when you want to be fleshly. Anytime you want to be fleshy to show off your independence. And it moves into where you actually have a spirit tormenting you. Like someone once said about sin. The bad thing about sin is you can pick your sin but you can't pick your consequences. (laughs) And that's the same thing. You can pick your sin, but you can't pick your your demon (laughs) that'll be attracted to it. So there's things in life that will actually come in on top of you, and you usually don't come running because you're in sin. You usually come running because you've got something oppressing you or something you don't like what it's taken over because for the most part, you resist being enslaved to something evil. So this pulling that draws it, that pulls it, I'm going to say it draws it, it pulls it, it permissions it. Like you're actually giving it something that has a legal right, that it has the ability to go in and there's, there's no way for you to push it off with your will because you've actually given some sort of open door permission to this thing. Or it's just flat ignorance. Just, well... 
I understand it now because I've gone through it and blew everything up behind me. I understand it now because hindsight's 2020. I understand it now, but I would have never thought this would have come about. So the ignorance is that verse where we talk about in Hosea 4, 6, that it's lack of knowledge that causes God's people to be destroyed. And if you look at it, you're thinking it would say the world's people, the people in sin. You'd think it'd say something like that. And you'd think it'd say for them to have spiritual warfare. But it's very strong to say God's people destroyed. You don't like those two things in the same sentence. You don't like those two thoughts together, but it's caused by ignorance. It's caused by ignorance of God's word. So that's where we're going to attack that ignorance. And hopefully you're one that you can apply it to your own life and say, I want to navigate out of this with the Lord. I want to let him lead me away from this. Another thing that draws this of the flesh moving to the demon is that One time we discussed this in length. When we discussed it in length, it was over the topic of soulish compassion. That you can feel too sorry. That you can get into pride that your mercy is even more than the Almighty's mercy. That where God's mercy lets up, you take over for him. If his isn't enough, you're going to do it to the worldly people. And you don't understand why... Why would that mercy not be there? But you're not dealing with real mercy. You're dealing with a sympathy. You're dealing with something that will handicap the person. You're really making things worse for them. But you're so scared they're going to go into this abyss, (laughs) that they're going to fall off the edge of the earth. You're so afraid for them that you literally sacrifice yourself and throw everything you've got trying to stop it. And this is that time of a thousand falling by one hand and ten thousand by the other. You're seeing people's lives wreck. And if you click into that, I'm numb, I don't care, so you do that sheep and goats thing where you go, I wasn't aware that anybody was sick, naked. You can't be living during this time and this not be hitting into people's lives that you're working with, hitting people's lives and your family. If you're not aware of it and doing spiritual warfare for them and pushing back, you're just really doing that Matthew 25 parable of not being aware You just really don't have enough care to even see that it's happening. So you need to ask the Lord in the ignorance part to open your eyes of awareness to what's going on so that you can start putting up some defenses with it. So at this point, we started counting how many of these, and we came up very quickly of it being different now for us between normal deliverance, where somebody just has a spirit that they don't want, that's taken them captive, and they want deliverance from that spirit, and actually being where somebody may contact with witchcraft, and witchcraft is different. Witchcraft is where you actually want the spirit because it does you some sort of favor. You get something from it in your mind, and usually it's in the area of control. So we counted up very quickly, 33 people, and they were huge cases. And like when we say this one person, it might affect 12 family members or it might have repercussions of their five children. You know, there's different things that weigh in. So our numbers are going to be on the light side. We weren't pressing them to give us all we could get from a story. We were just lightly giving you a count. And so with 33 of them, and then we had about five people that... They have such bizarre stuff going on in their life right now, these five or six people, that there's got to be some sort of contact with witchcraft that we're just not seeing it yet because it takes discernment 
and vulnerability on their part for them to admit what's actually taking place. Now, like the girl who is close to me enough that we were raised in um, contact with each other's families, and we were talking the other day, and she began getting a little witchy in front of me. And every time I was seeing her, she was getting more and more that way and giving herself more and more credit. And finally, I'd had enough of it. And I told her, I said, uh, you know what? I said, where this leads of what you're doing is you're going to end up full-blown into some kind of witchcraft because you're giving yourself credit rather than God credit for that gift of discernment you have. You're giving yourself credit. And I said, stop it. I told her, stop it right now. You know better than this. And I said, why on earth would you just pride yourself in knowing something bad was going to happen and not using any authority to stop it? I said, that's... That's the powerlessness of people doing witchcraft. They don't have any real genuine power, but they manipulate and they control just moving the pieces around and they eventually get themselves trapped. It's like quicksand. So as I scroll past examples of all types of this stuff, we're going to go over the scriptures that have to do with contacting and connecting with witchcraft. And last night, literally, when I was talking through one of them, I mean, it just kind of spooks you. Like it unnerves something inside of you. And I had to uh, just kind of just work it out and talk it through because it's terrible to see that just like God has a plan for your life for good and not evil, the enemy has a plan for your life for destruction, and he really can do it bizarrely. And he can make it a terrible thing. And you need something to come in and rescue you, which would be that powerful word of God. It would be someone carrying that sword to cut you loose from your assignment. Now, what makes it dangerous, the difference between a spirit and witchcraft is you have a will, a human will, where you're choosing something other than what God's saying where you actually want that spirit, you actually want that sin, you actually want to do that. And that creates a situation that's much more difficult because you can't cast it out. You've got to repent that out and renounce it out. So our theme verse will be John 14, verse 30, that the ruler of the world has come and he has nothing in me. That is what you have to have take place inside of you to really be foolproof from this. Like this thing can't attach to you if there's nothing in you that gives it a place, a hook, an open door. That's why Jesus could confidently say, I can have the ruler of this world, the head of all principalities, the head of all evil, all rulers, all darkness come but there's nothing for him to attach to inside of me. Like he had nothing in him. So you might say it this way, the ruler of this world comes and he has no way of making contact with something inside of me. That is your goal to get rid of anything that the enemy would put inside of you. So you might have unhealed areas from your past and you haven't ever just believed the Lord that you can get rid of that unhealed area. You might have something that just tremendously went wrong that you've never worked out. 
You might have something that with God that you hold something in reserve. It's these perpetual problems that get us in a lot of trouble. That's what the enemy will make contact with inside of you. Whatever's not resolved in you right now, whatever's ignorant inside of you right now, that's where the enemy uses it as his opportunity. You go, but that's not fair. Yeah, I have so many people say, well, it happened to a child. It's not fair. You've got to realize there is nothing in your Bible or in the laws of the universe that tells you the devil plays fair. Like, you've got to give up that concept that it's fair. It, it is not fair. And most evil, evil kingdoms that we fight, even today, they don't have a sense of fairness. Like, the very purpose of them planning and plotting against you is to do something that is not fair against you, that would completely catch you off guard, that will completely break all rules of warfare. And so the idea that it has to be a fair fight is just really not thought through. It's really not you really taking seriously the schemes of the enemy. And I get it. It takes you a while to really realize how diabolically evil and twisted and bizarre the devil has plans for your life. So when someone's warning you, they're giving you the biggest act of kindness they can. It's like where we've said, let's put repentance in the good category. Let's call that the most beautiful gift that God even gives us that option. So you look at the words in this verse and, you know, you have some translations say it has no hold on Jesus, no claim on Jesus. It has nothing in him. But the word is not as surprising in the Greek. It's just this little bitty adverb in O-U-K. Ook. You're asking nothing in him, no claim, no hold. What magnificent word would describe what this is saying? But the definition is stronger than that. No, it means no and it means not. Also, ook. Ook is a primary word. And listen to this. I like the way these words sound. The absolute negative adverb, no, not. It, absolute negative adverb. So that's a a very unique way to describe this, that that it's absolutely negative that the enemy has anything in you. It's just completely without any ability for him to penetrate in through there. So you can be around it and not pick anything up. Robbie and I had that experience that we went to take care of somebody, and after three or four hours, even filming a little bit of it, We were like, "Uh, do you have a fuzz on your brain right there? And it was like, how long is it going to take for this fuzz to get off? Well, we realized we had made contact with something from our past. That we had had that, and it wasn't completely resolved. We got around that spirit again, and we fuzzed. And so we would talk to each other and text and say, "Um, has yours completely lifted off? Because that night, I literally could not make my mind function. It wouldn't fire. I'm used to my brain firing on its cylinders. It would not fire. Well, 
we thought we were having a bad state of mind until the counselor started calling me constantly. We were talking an hour, an hour and a half every day, and, you know, with all HIPAA laws in place and everything just, I'm sure, just perfectly done between she and I, we were having a roaringly good time discussing this. We had made a great friendship, and she appreciated the position I was taking until I asked her the question that Robbie and I had been asking each other. I said, do you have a little fuzz just right here but?" between your eyes like after having dealt with this and I thought it would just cement our relationship I was wrong I can talk to Robbie about this I cannot talk to a professional counselor she informed me that she was a counselor she does not discuss those kind of things with me absolutely not she's above the fray and I was wondering why were we having therapy sessions each day together because we were in spiritual warfare And she was trying to say, it doesn't happen to me. But I bet if I watched the shelf life on these kind of counselors, without armoring up with the Word of God, they're not going to make it. And believe you me, they have a fuzz. (laughs) It gives you a brain-numbing fuzz. You can't listen to that thing repeat itself over and over and over and over, and it not make you go a little bit crazy. So if you're near someone that's under a spirit a witchcraft. So I'm not judging you. I'm not anything. I'm saying you can make contact with it and not have yourself armored up to the place or something resolved with the Lord enough that it doesn't knock and at least it sits on you. They may be possessed, but you may be at least touched by it. So um, I'm pleased to say now that we have both been able to be in constant contact now with that same thing, and it doesn't do it now. So it takes something. We were actually trying to pull someone out of it. Now I'm going to tell you, people, don't kid yourself. Going to other countries, everybody's worried about their allergies changing. Like if you fly somewhere else and then your allergies come back. I am not interested in the allergies. Those are underneath your feet. But I am saying there are certain things called foreign devils. And sometimes mission teams don't do okay. One comes back cuckoo on your team. And it's happening more than we'd like to think because they get into some kind of witchcraft stuff. But you may be used to the ones around you familiar with the demons in your family. You may know what you're up against, but some things fuzz you out. And it's shocking sometimes to find out these people really want to kill me. They love me tremendously, but at the same time, they wish me dead. You're in this spiritual battle. So people, other countries, being around people that are possessed. I don't know if your life's like mine, but... People enjoy bringing possessed people to me. They make appointments and they bring someone that is possessed. And you hear what that person's saying and it didn't sound happy. You wouldn't want to be in a situation that a place with this person at any kind of contact, which brings me back to a memory in the Philippines where we're traveling and they find us a place to stay and we're actually putting uh, the Psalm 91 book into different Filipino military encampments and I've got my whole team and our girls have filled up one large room and my guys in the other and they're 
messing with the doorknob because it won't work and it won't lock, only to find out that Malou comes in there and shares with me that we're staying in the place of the military where they keep the murderers. And I know she's joking. It's just like she makes us eat dogs that have tumors. I know she's making a joke. And so I laugh. Only for the head of the military's wife to tell me, oh, these are the really the best behaved. They're, every one of these guys have committed murder. And the lock did not work on our door between us and the murderers who wanted to wait on the girls all the time. There's a thinner line in other countries between possessed people and yourself. There are things that you don't want to pick up in other countries. And that's why I'm saying there's people that you don't want to sleep in close proximity to that I found myself sharing living quarters with. Of thinking, you know, I guess leadership means I sleep between the door and my team. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so these are areas of coming in contact with these spirits of witchcraft. There's that religious spirit. There's governmental principalities. This is how we have to be, is like Jesus, to be able to not pick up a fuzz or a permanent place in a facility. And that's to not have something that makes contact with witchcraft. You know, what's odd about traveling, they named a ministry that we all know that travels to Israel all the time. And this lady who works in the police force there, it's her job every time this tour group comes over to take at least one to two people to an asylum because they lose their mind when they go to Jerusalem. And I said, they lose their mind. And she says, people that are hyper-spiritual, when they get into Jerusalem, they get into a religious spirit, and they lose their mind, and they lock them up. And guess what? You get to pay for a relative to fly over there and get you, and pay for your ticket home, and pay for your care. Because you're not on socialized medicine. And every time, somebody goes crazy. And I sat there and thought, I know some people that are hyper-religious. They're hyper-spiritual, and it winds them up, and it does something to them, and they get crazy, and they start talking crazy stuff. They've made contact with one of these spirits. So Jesus had the ability to minister in these areas, be in Jerusalem, where he said that, you know, Jerusalem has a bad reputation that they always kill the prophets, that Jesus worked among people that had these thoughts. But so no sin and no wrong desires. So the flesh and the soulish area is what we're going to discuss first, where you don't have a spirit involved. It's just your flesh or your soul. Like you really, really enjoy promoting yourself. Like you toot your own horn. Every chance you get, you're tooting your own horn. You're in ministry, so you can toot your own horn. You're all about yourself in ministry. Like it, it takes a while in music to get people up here that are truly worshiping and not just entertaining. You know, it, it's that thing of it's about me. It's my place to express myself. And so a lot of ministry is soulish. I mean, I hate to say it, but most of what you see in churches fits soulishness more than it fits actually what I'd call spirit ministry. And it is very difficult to discern the difference. That's why it says that the word of God goes in and divides between soul and spirit. 
because let me just tell you, when I saw this concept from Watchman Nee, and he explained what soulishness is, I was horrified. And I told the Lord, I can't teach that to college kids. Like, this is horrible. There'll be nothing left. There'll be no identity. (laughs) Like, everything we do is soulishness. And I put it on a shelf for four years, I think, four or five years before I ever got up and started teaching on soulishness because I had to figure out how do you express yourself in your spirit because a lot of college ages, you're figuring out who you are and developing your identity, and it will stick with you for life. What you come up with between 18 and about 25 is going to be who you are. And some of you, I don't like it. I don't like who you're becoming. It stinks to high heaven. And so we're trying to change you for the sake of people that are going to have to endure you the rest of their lives. So the flesh and the soulishness is here where it's just pure you. There's no demonic spirit attached. The only thing there is just you making contact with sin. So we're going to take our analogy and we're going to talk about at this point, you're only dead flesh. Our other word would be you're only a roadkill. You just got a lot of flesh. You're my cutie pie uh, guy on our trip who was writing Dear Flesh Diary. (laughs) Today I lost this. (laughs) And he was funny. I mean, he had a good soulish, uh, you know, my boy that did uh, your no-no box. I mean, you just it, it just doesn't get any funnier. So the dead flesh is the human will where you will a known sin. That's where it starts getting into trouble. But a dead flesh with vultures is the human will where a spirit is attached. So you see the difference between it. So we're going to start with just the roadkill before the vultures have found it. And so that's where some of you are that you're flirting with sin. And you're just laying there and you stink, but the flies and the vultures and the maggots haven't found you yet. There's openings. And this gets into the area of human-to-human soul ties. So with witchcraft, you've made contact with something in a deep degree of people, principalities, and spirits. But at this point, it is only just the flesh. Let me tell you what this would look like. Offense. You're offended. Deep down resentment. It is a door And it has a whistling alarm set to it. And it's letting everyone know. We've come to the conclusion that a lot of what invites it over here in the flesh that has witchcraft way over here is this one. If you feel sorry for yourself. Feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, my lands. I told you sometimes I'll give myself sometimes 20 seconds and that probably is 21 seconds too long. We were looking at a three-minute phone call. You know, I pulled up, how long was that phone call? And I I thought, in three minutes, I sure did get a lot said. Three minutes, you can make a deal with the underworld. I mean, three minutes can do a lot. And I'm telling you, three minutes of letting your tongue go loose, you can do a lot of damage. So, offended gives you the opportunity to find someone else that's offended. This is your start of your journey of writing a book on my life with witchcraft and all that happened and how I blew everybody up around me. So if you want to write it, this is your first chapter. You can pick the plot right here. 
If you stay offended, I promise you, and I'm not talking about spirits right now. I'm talking about someone else that's offended will come and share their offense with you. And then one will put a thousand to fly and two will put 10,000 because it just ramps it up when you can get two offended people together that are agreed. Oh, the agreement, it, it causes hell to ratify everything that you believe. So you have that ramped up power in this realm of numbers being so much higher and better. If you can find someone that agrees with your offense, that finds it irking, just like you do, of how rude this person is and how ungodly and how terribly offended you are at them. So you can really get into high numbers and hell likes to copy heaven and it will do just like the agreement scripture but in reverse of where if two or three agree, heaven will back it up. Hell loves to back up this. But so far we're not talking demons yet. We're just talking about you offended. So offense, feel sorry, lust. Well, when you look at lust, you know, I told you I was in lust for a long time. Deep, deep lust. Anticombs. <laughs> I mean, it was just soul-consuming lust of these anticombs. <laughs> I mean, I had to see everyone. And, you know, we make a laugh about it and we joke about anticombs that literally, I, that's all I could think about was anticombs. And I, I would go in there with my dad because, you know, the rule of cross lines is take someone that's negative with you. And he would walk through, and I'd be going, look at the breakfast nook. Can you imagine round walls and, and, and round doors, Dad? And he'd go, the plumbing has five years, maybe at best. And he, he was just so negative. So we got along famously because it kept me from making any decisions for at least a year and a half with this deep carnality, lay in bed and fantasizing about these old homes. But any of you who know me and know where God's put me now, can you see how that would have stopped college ministry and it would have never happened if my lust had conceived <laughs> and bore children? We wouldn't be here. Thank goodness somewhere in my little soul that God saved a wretch like me, I got down on my knees and I told the Lord, I am the most unsatisfied of all your creatures because I live in this home that is so not what I want. I said, just look at the neighbor over there with that, that beautiful tree. And I, I suddenly said, God, this is so wrong. I repent. First of all, I'm going to tell you, I'm grateful for this home. I love these wooden floors of this five by five home. But what I like about it is the fact that I can get it clean in a second. When company's coming, I can make that house shine because my housekeeping skills, I'm really good. And I thought, why do I need that great house across the road? Why do I need this house across the road? My people have joy. It's, they're not laughing at me. And I would look and they had this beautiful tree that changed colors of the leaves. And I thought... I'm glad the neighbor has a better looking house than mine because I have to look out the window at their house. So I'd rather be looking out the window at their beautiful house than at my podunk house if I was living in theirs looking at what was across the street and thinking, who let the real estate go down? 
So I repented, really did. I told God, I want to live here the rest of my life. Like, I'm tired of myself. Have you ever so saturated yourself with your desires that you get kind of sickened? That's what happened to me. I was sick of my own desires. And I repented with everything in me. I even had tears. I so gave it to God. The phone call was made. <laughs> I mean, I fully gave my heart to the Lord on it. That They called me that day and said, 907 Center is for sale. Angie, we think you're supposed to buy it. You can have your Bible study in it. I couldn't believe it. It was the home of my dreams. I was happy. I wanted to live in 907 Center for the rest of my life. I would have never moved. My dad made the decision. But that 907 Center put me in a ministry that I could not even keep up with the kids that came in and out my doors. They were revolving doors. I lived in a glass house. One-tenth of the campus was in my house at all times, in my refrigerator most of the time. I mean, literally, I had to carve a space out to take sleep at night. They would think that the counseling was okay. The men would come wanting counseling in droves. I was mama to them. And it was just unique how I got rid of that problem and God gave me the desire of my heart. And that's what lust is doing for you. I don't know what area it's touching you in, but in James 1.14, it says when lust is conceived, it produces death. And whatever that thing is, you're oversaturating yourself with. That thing that you're overdoing it. There's a guy I think of tonight, bless his heart. He's made a mess out of this because he's looked at too many pictures. And he's wrecked his life. All his integrity... All of his strength and all of his wisdom is like a joke to the town because of this area of lust. It produces death. Matthew 6. But it says, If anyone looks at a, a woman lustfully and has committed adultery with her in his heart, that, you know, you see, like it's a married man and he's getting into the cheating element. But the same thing is women too. Like this thing, this flows both ways. And what it's hindering you from is to get into your desires. To get into your lust prevents you from getting into your purpose. Getting into the death prevents you from getting into what God has for you. It prevents the very thing that you want, and that's satisfaction. And that's what I realized was on the altar was my satisfaction. And it started with hardwood floors for me. Now I have enough hardwood floors. I say amen and God bless. It's more hardwood floors than a person could ever want. But it came from altering it with the Lord and really meaning it. So you got to cut off those soul ties with lust. You got to. It's, it, it's wrecking you. It's, it's running what God has for you. Because what he gives you is with so much joy. And then the soul tie that I was thinking about this is where it moves you into past it just being a sin. Like, you know, where it's just in your heart. You know, where it's lust conceived. This moves you into, literally, you're picking up other people's baggage. And this one's 1 Corinthians six sixteen, And it's the soul ties that tie you up or the body knits together. And it's with the wrong thing. If you'll read this, this is what got Saul mixed up. And Solomon. 
it says that these men, that they made an alliance with these women that brought witchcraft into the kingdom. Uh, well, Saul brought it in on himself uh, through other means. <laughs> and when you think about Solomon, yeah, yeah, where Solomon made these witchcraft alliances by making an alliance, by letting your soul knit, by letting you have a soul tie with something that doesn't love God. And you would think that this isn't possible, but it is happening so many places. I'm thinking of this one man. I feel like it'd be okay to share his story, but um, bless his heart. I mean, this guy was just a hardworking man. And this very beautiful girl came to him. And he slept with her. And he sat there right there on that corner of that couch. And if I saw something that I would say was near possession, it was him. And I felt bad for his mother because she had already lost another son to an accident. But she literally had possession of his mind. Like his mind was truly possessed. He found out six weeks later with this lady, she was a witch. And I look at her picture and I'm like, I couldn't discern it from the picture. But after this happened to him, he literally for seven years has had no other thought in his mind but her. And he can't get her out of his mind. And the possession on him literally makes him say the most bizarre, rambling things. Like I was hearing what the guy was saying, and I was like thinking, what kind of guy are they going to bring in here for prayer? But possession took over him. You know, witches, they'll cast spells so that you think of them. I mean, it's control. It's a bizarre world. And when the power of God hit him, Steph and I had prayed for him, and um, we did renouncing, we did repenting, and then we prayed, and when the power of God hit him, we watched his mind return to him. And he hadn't had it for seven years. He could not have a clear thought, a peaceful thought, a stable thought. And we told him, watch the movie War Room. It teaches you a lot about spiritual warfare and crying out. You are going to have to go into life armored up. But what happened is that verse here is that what people don't realize is that Paul says that what? Know you not that whoever joins himself to a harlot becomes one body with her. For two, he says, becomes one flesh. And so you actually pick up something. Like, this is where the witchcraft does what it wants with you and makes a connection. That's one thing you need to go back and break these sort of ties that you've made with people that don't love God, that don't have covenants, that have different things in them. You know, that's why Proverbs will tell you not to be around an angry person or you'll pick up their way. Another verse in Proverbs says, don't be around someone that's discontent. You know, if if someone could never be content, this is a a sad thing. So this is a soulish tie. This is a spirit tie. And Paul, then he takes it and he he slings it as far as he can the other direction to tell you. It's basically mimicking this because it says, For he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So I'm not off when I tell you that I don't want you to mess up with God because I want to see what you and God being one looks like. 
I want to see what your personality surrendered to God with God's magnificent personality and power combined with what that unity looks like. But Paul's not, he's not through yet with this because he says in verse 18, flee immortality, immorality. <laughs> now I'm speaking to the new agers. Flee <laughs> immortality. They're all into that. Okay, flee immorality. Because he says, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man is sinning against his own body. And so I would say this, um, after that relationship, what changed about you? Like, uh, did you turn really mean after that relationship? Worse yet, did you lose your soul? You lost your soul after that? Like, there's things that can happen that make you numb, that make you not be, that make you submit to something that shouldn't, that make you less than you were when you started, it opens the door to connecting with witchcraft, and you have to repent. And so that's why even looking on pornography, you're looking at these people and you're making some sort of connection it's a witchcraft connection with them. You don't know if they're married. You don't know if they're 14. You don't know what you're dealing with, what kind of demonic spirits. You don't know if they made some kind of deal with the devil that if you'll make me famous and rich, you know, they, they make those prayers to the devil that everyone becomes possessed, possessed with them, that they can never come out. You're dealing with a human will, and that's what makes this different than a spirit. Their human will affects your human will. And that's when you go into captivity and you can't explain what's happening. And that's where if I bring up the fuzz, you're going to get upset with me. But you've gotten into a place where things aren't right inside of you. And so you have to break this off because it attracts spirits. It attracts things to you. This attracts vultures to you. Just like mom says, it's a roadkill. And now you're seeing the flies come. You're seeing the maggot eggs laid. The maggots come. You're seeing the vultures come. And I don't think people think of this, especially in the way that they present it now. They don't think about the fact that this is a covenant area that we've gotten into of what the Lord wants to do with power and strength. That's why in the middle of it, Paul says, look at what uniting yourself with the Lord would do. So it actually moves you towards witchcraft. It's the human spirit linked to witchcraft combination is what takes place. So by the time you get to witchcraft, you're dealing with someone who lights the demonic spirits. They don't care where they get the power they want power. And you may not feel that way, but you've linked to someone who does. You need to break soul ties with every picture, with everything ingrained in your mind. You've got to break off things where the enemy is making you go in lower than what you were meant to be. It's just like if I had been forever where I had chose my house I would never have gone into where the power of God hit a group of people that are all over the world ministering now. I would have never experienced the glory of God. 
And then I get put in another place that I wasn't expecting, never could have expected. And I'm asking, Lord, what are you doing at this point? You don't want to miss out on God's best for you. You know, Abraham's soul cried out for second best. Oh, Lord. Remember what he prayed? The Lord said, I said that Sarah would bear you a son. And what a great name laughter. And what does Abraham say? Oh God, I know you have my best in mind. I know you want what's best for me. You know what Abraham cries out when that's said to him? He cries out and says, oh God, let Ishmael live before you. Let my flesh stand. Let Hagar the Egyptian, let what I did in the flesh stand before you. Everywhere you're doing that, you've made little flesh monsters. And you're asking for your flesh and the decision of your arm of your flesh to stand before God. And you're saying no to your covenant promises and to God's best and his purpose. And then you complain to God your life's not working out well. Your soul will cry for less than what God wants. It'll cry for the wrong thing. It's soulish compassion. It goes in the wrong direction. And so it makes these links. And then you get into bizarre stuff of passives, passive people, aggressive people. And then the worst combination ever, passive-aggressive people. (laughs) And it sends people out. And this controller now has a gullible person doing their bidding. We shall explore this further in in other Bible studies. Hopefully not in other relationships. (laughs) But at this point, you have this line of now you're about to get into the area of witchcraft. And it's, you know, like one guy said, well, I used to read my horoscope, but it's in the paper. I like to know what sign I'm under. You know, what's a little bit of knowing what's going to happen today? You know, I read it after it happens just to see if it came true what it said. Here, uh, give me your your Chinese fortune cookie. Now they have dumbed those down a little bit to where there's Proverbs, but I don't want them. I've watched my mother make contact with that demon. It took a while to get her back. So I'm saying stay away from the ignorance line. Stay away from the... (laughs) The obvious areas that there's witchcraft. And stay away from the more subtle, deceived lines. Because what's happening is, I've never been able to understand these verses, but I think this finally explains it to me right here of what it means. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice to cover those sins. Look at this one. No one who abides in him, who remains united in fellowship with him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practice sins. They put that in the middle because it scares them that the Greek says, no one who abides in him practices sin. 1 John 3, 6. And this is what witchcraft is. It's that thing where... You want to keep doing the sin. Like the girl who came to Steph not too long ago who wanted deliverance. But she was in deep agreement with the sin. 
Steph was not the right person to come to. But at best, we could say she was lukewarm. And don't forget the word lukewarm. I mean, she sings in front of the church, and she's, you know, on the preaching club, and she's all those different things. But it's this thing here of wanting to continue to practice the sin. So what the human will is, like those verses, if they don't scare the living jeebies out of you, for jeebies, I mean, this should put the fear of the Lord in you. But the human will here is it's when it's a known sin and you don't care. It's proud. It's not a spirit at this point. Let me give you this language. It's in agreement with the sin in spite of what God says. You're not putting up any resistance. You're not struggling with the sin. You have owned the sin. In spite of what the Lord says, you've made agreement. That's where the ruler of this world has a little bit. It becomes a part of you. It's versus the human will with the spirit. This is the human will with the sin. And what it turns into is it makes contact with the witch witch. And the witch witch is cold. Completely given over to it. Where the lukewarm person has a little warmth. And God says that's vomit to him. But there's still humanness in them. The witch witch, no, no humanness. It's, it's cold. They have given over to it. They want the power of it. They don't care the source. It's fine with them to get power from the evil source. And at that point with witchcraft, then they start wanting something from you. They want to get something or give you something. Witches will leave you something. It was the other day someone had gone under the spell. It was one of the people that we were going to talk about, and they entered into a period of being strong, loving the Lord, ministering, and a witch gave them a gift, several other things, and powerful person with the Lord, great family, looks great on Facebook. But they gave them a little witch surprise, and they asked us, uh, should I get rid of this? I don't even know how to explain it. Literally are given over to something. These are more getting into the deep things of, of Satan. But if you're pulling someone out, a lot of times it starts with this. You were given something and you put a soul tie with that person and you made some kind of alliance and it started gathering this to you. So if they get your name, it ramps it to another level. That was one year of warfare for us. When the coven gets your name, they use it. It doesn't work like a human relationship. It works in a different sort of way. They get your picture. They can give you a cup of tea. I've heard so many stories there. They want information on you. Information's the name of the game. Part of it is they just like drama. Lots of drama. But they try to move it over into trauma. <laughs> it starts out in drama, <laughs> but it's called trauma. That's called your Christmas holidays. <laughs> That's called being home with family. You got witchcraft spinning around. It moves into something more devious. But alas, look on Facebook. They're going to mix scriptures in with it. They have the little scriptures that they put the little sweet pictures on. And they say sweet little Christian things all over their Facebook. 
And as these people are telling me, these people are in hardcore witchcraft, and I'm looking and seeing they're proclaiming Christ, we're in a new battle. So witchcraft possesses the person, but the person has grabbed the spirit. And the devil comes in and uses them. They and the spirit have grabbed each other. And this is where we were headed for you to realize that ultimately you create that harlot position that Paul was talking about where it takes in your body and you have created a soul tie with the kingdom of the devil. And if you make contact, if you make alliances, if you make anything with a person messing in this, you have got to do what it takes to break that soul tie with witchcraft because it's them and a demonic spirit and even though we've done deliverance for years and years and decades i haven't got into the names of all those spirit names of spirits that do all that weird sex stuff and they talk about all those things but let me tell you i assure you it's real and people are stuck and they can't get out, and the spirits are milking them for everything it's worth. I knew a girl who was teaching a Bible study right here, and she was gang-raped every night, she said, by demonic spirits. Her roommate brought her to me, and the roommate was in agony because the girl would scream through the night. And her life has ended up with both her mother and dad killed in a very strange way, within a day of each other. I talked to her about deliverance, but she enjoyed the attention it gave her. I just had never seen anything like it, but it's a mixture. So the spirit, the demonic spirit actually connects. And then this helps you understand these confusing verses where Genesis 6, 4, where it says the daughter of men you know, the Nephilim was on the earth, and it's where the sons of God went to the daughters of men. They had children by them. And demons can get it just really mixed up. By the time people take the connection that God has and starts moving it over into the demonic realm, into demons, and by the time you're telling me they're producing children and they're becoming giants, let me say, I can tell you, yes, you're going to have giant problems from this. And you're going to mess things up. <laughs> and this is more than a mixture because you're actually making a oneness take place between you and Satan in the most diabolical way. And people are moving it into robots and, and UFOs and every kind of bizarre way they can twist this out. And it's where we are opening up to the demons. So we decided to run the statistics. We jotted off the deliverances. This had not been happening to us too much, but then the witchcraft was making it where we were having to not only cast something out, but get them to repent and renounce so they'd let go of the spirit they had had. And this is what we came up with. In our 33 people, 20 deaths as a direct result of the witchcraft. Deaths. Four murders. Four people had entered into uh, quite substantial time gaps, perhaps when they murder someone, but their mind will shut off. Attempted suicides, three. One successful suicide. In this 
witchcraft cocktail, six adulteries took place. One actually was in a bar, and a spirit came to her and said, I'm going to take you to a Bible study here at one of the businesses. There's a young man teaching the Bible study. I want you to seduce him. And that leads up to our next number, that out of these witchcraft concoctions, 13 people were taken out of ministry. By the time we got to some of them, we were able to uh, save two that were immediately about to go into divorce, adultery, and we protected two from getting out of the ministry. Nine people were harmed. And what I mean by that is their children were so messed up in their head that it, it wrecked it by them making some alliance with a friend that was in witchcraft, just a friend. And two, I would say, actually hit what we would call possession. Now, I don't know what you mean by possession, but possession to me is where you no longer are at any, in any way, in any regards, in control of what you say, think, or do. You've lost complete control of it, and you go years and years with your mind actually possessed. So I'm not talking about your spirit possessed. I'm talking about you've lost yourself completely, and you've been taken over by something that makes you bizarre, and people don't know what to do with you. So, with that cheerful ending, <laughs> we're talking about making contact with witchcraft and the dangers of the way of how you connect with it and how you contact it and how it can come back on you if you have anything in you that it attracts it. Amen. <laughs> I didn't write any notes down. That's so good. Um, we were talking about some of this Sunday and just people that haven't been around where Angie got this concept is we were talking about the difference between demons and witchcraft. And so the basis of it, when you're under a spirit, it's over you. It's, you know, guiding you, getting you to do, say different stuff. And you may not be aware of it. Or you may be aware of it, whatever. You want rid of it. You know something's wrong in your life. But the witchcraft aspect is when you are wanting to control the demon. And it's, a, it's been a few years of this, and you can just say it's a mess. <laughs> it, is a, it is a mess, and it's not something I think, I would always think of witchcraft as something, you know, the crazy people did, the, the ones that had Ouija boards and, you know, went to seances and, you think of it in those terms, so you think you're not doing it. But when you look at it biblically, you realize pretty much everybody's doing it. And so I think tonight, uh, I'm just going to put on some music and everybody can stand up and just take some time to repent of just when Angie was talking, if the Lord was bringing anything that you know is not right, if you have an area where you know you're in that or you've gone too far or whatever it is, get it right with the Lord. Because these things have to be broken. And what we've been seeing more and more, as things get more and more crazy, people's witchcraft is turning on them. Like people thought they could do it for their own benefit or their own pleasure or to get what they want. They thought they could partner with the devil to get what they want, only for the devil now to turn it around on people. And he's really messing up people's lives. I was last night I was reading the Bible and I was 
Studying the word blasphemy is interesting word for repentance in the Old Testament, if I can find it. I can't remember where exactly this was, but I was looking up the definition. But one of the definitions of repentance is to withdraw from war. So you have to think when we're partner with something that's demonic, we placed ourselves at war with what God is trying to do because God is trying to get you free. So God is wanting you to completely surrender and sever all those ties with the demonic stuff because he is trying to save you from what the devil wants to do to you. So that's why it's so important that those things are broken. So if everybody will stand, let me connect this thing and we'll just spend a...